and welcome to our weekly ICT4D conference podcast. My name is Sonia Ritzel from CRS and I'm interviewing experts for you to talk about digital development trends, innovations and good practice. Today it's my pleasure to talk to Marco Vandenberg, the CIO of ERI, the International Rice Research Institute. Marco, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience, please? I've been here for about 13 years. I've worked in the international agricultural research community for more than 20 years in total. And my responsibilities uh, cover the widest possible area, including a digital transformation, including infrastructure, connectivity, standardization, etc., etc. Although some of the IT areas are also built into some of our organizational units, such as scientific software development that takes place within the research organizations because they are closest to the fire. Thank you. As we're seeing an acceleration of the use of digital technologies this year, I would like to ask you if there's any emerging technologies that you're using and are excited about. There's the ubiquitous and obvious ones in the video conferencing and, and online collaboration area. If you look at the graph of uptake of video conferencing, it is very similar to the initial exponential curve of the COVID-19 infections. It was just amazing in how far people took that on. What I would also like to remark, though, is that there have also been a number of occasions where the fragmentation in online tools is really a problem. We have folks that use product X, Y, and Z. We've had the issues with one of the larger platforms in terms of security. Incompatibilities between these platforms are enormous. Uh, they seem to be here to stay, although many years ago, a lot of us idealistic folks thought that standards such as uh, the, the H standards and the SIP standards were going to uh, look, were going to give us interoperability that that really hasn't happened and one of the most negative experiences that we have had is the one that employees start uh, using a lot of shadow IT in terms of uh, using their own often social media derived uh, collaboration platforms which are sometimes really really good but sometimes also uh, really, really inappropriate because they don't fit into a security framework that you need to have as an organization. So I see tremendous opportunities for future interoperability between these platforms. I'm still partially idealistic that way. Another area where I see enormous possibilities is the improvement of uh, the more intricate collaboration possibilities. Like we can have this conversation and I can probably hear you or I can see you, but we need to go further than that. Because to think that, as some of my colleagues do, that once there is wide availability of vaccines, that we will be able to catch up where we left off, but that we will find ways in which we can collaborate much richer. You see something like Jamboard coming up. You see online collaboration tools uh, with, with the most weirdest names uh, appear. Also there, I think, a certain amount of standardization and interoperability would be in place. 
and the, the development of some maybe open source close collaboration tools, for example, for remote collaboration and software development would be uh, something that I would applaud. Wonderful. Thank you. And with regards to particularly um, to tech trends in the agricultural sector or maybe even specifically for your region as you're based in the Philippines, do you have any comments on this as well? What we do see is a trend that is very ambiguous because rice particularly is a fairly labor-intensive crop, especially if you grow it the way that it, it is traditionally grown uh, with, with transplanting, etc. We see an enormous peak in the interest for alternatives to the traditional methods by more mechanized, more more efficient methods. For example, no longer transplanting rice plants, but direct seeding of rice. Uh, other areas that are becoming more and more in the focus of the attention are things like the use of drones for applications of things such as fertilizer, uh, maybe application of, of other chemicals during the crop season, maybe even application of water in, in some areas of the world where we don't grow the, the traditional paddy rice. And a huge area that I shouldn't forget as well is the, the whole area of sensors, where sensors are becoming cheap enough to be able to form part of smallholder farms. Because if we can make the sensors cheap enough so that the use of the sensors produces a benefit to the farmer that is larger than the investment in the sensors and the technology, farmers are very, very clever people. They are entrepreneurs themselves. They will pick it up if it offers them a benefit. That's a very strong point. Farming has been too marginal for too long. And we need to, to basically mainstream farming so that it becomes an attractive profession for young people in the future. I totally agree. And um, related to this, I also wanted to talk with you about digital skills and digital literacy, as you just said, attracting young people to agriculture. What can we do to assist maybe the older generation or the, the generation that has not yet access to the, the same digital skills, especially now as we're digitizing our services. My thoughts on the uptake and skill set improvement are several. In the first place, I think it is extremely dangerous that what seems to be happening is that a lot of people, especially in this region, equate social media, social networks with the internet. A service like Facebook is being sold as a product for people to access here in the Philippines, right? Uh, because for a lot of people in the Philippines, the internet is Facebook. Apart from the politically suboptimal implications of, of that, there's also suboptimal implications in terms of what can the internet do for communities. I think that an awareness and Working in parallel with these large corporations is imperative for us to do, to show folks that uh, it is not the mega platforms only that we have to do. And maybe we should also try to have in the countries in this region and probably globally more emphasis on, on, on issues such as privacy, security. You know, what are the consequences of putting your, your entire life 
line as a timeline on Facebook. What are the consequences for a farmer? Because there are consequences for that as a farmer. Yeah, I, I very much agree with your comment about having a, a more independent internet access. And I think that's unfortunately not just unique to the Philippines, um, for sure. And data protection and data privacy has been, I would say, the most important topic that came up in all those interviews. For example, one, one of the, the protocols that, that we have is that in order to have an interview with a farmer where we do a survey, etc., we have to have uh, consent uh, of this farmer. Uh, on, here's what uh, who we are. Here's what we're going to do. And will, will you will you consent to uh, these and these terms and conditions? If the farmer is a somebody that that that's not very literate and doesn't even have the faintest idea what privacy is, doesn't have the faintest idea what consent is, what is that consent statement worth? That's very questionable. Here, I guess one of the discussions we have is also if this is something we can build together as like an infrastructure of capacity building in digital literacy or not just digital, but also financial literacy, etc., and the understanding of um, the individual's issues like consent or safe use of the, the internet or of um, digital tools. And if there might be a way, since we're all in a very similar situation, if we can do this together and Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think that, that, that building that infrastructure and building it in an ethical and responsible way is, is going to be crucial. If, if I look into the sorts of organizations that I work in, we tend to start all using software by a very limited set of very large players. And uh, we, we, we tend to become... Uh, within an organization, semi-religious about, you know, the, the whole world should be adopting this software because then we can speak to our partners and, and, and we are going to adopt this. And we do not look at the, the consequences like, can we still get somebody from an external partner in on a video conference without them having to buy licenses? Can we get somebody that uses a, an open source operating system on a, on a Zoom meeting or uh, on a Teams meeting or on a Google meeting without them having to sacrifice certain parts of their privacy, without having to sacrifice money in some cases. And we see that in, in, a, in our own situation as well, where a lot of people have had to sign up for all sorts of video conferencing tools that are being used by the community. And then they are tempted to become basically sucked into the whole commercial scene around that, 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 that software. In the beginning, it was all lovey-dovey. Uh, you know, we're going to give you free use of our video conferencing platform because we have the COVID-19 crisis. But, uh, that, that is now completely turning around. Like, Okay, uh, we're we're getting towards the end of the COVID nineteen uh, situation, so now we're ha- we're going to have to cash in, and and we have to be very careful about fragmenting our user base in in very many ways. We have to be very careful in in not creating sort of like a, a monoculture of 
one or more very large products of, of, of these companies. So absolutely building the infrastructure around open standards, about around interoperability and around neutrality is something that is incredibly important. Yes, and that may be the questions also where does our duty of care end if we are ensuring that a platform is free to use and easy to use when we start communicating with the individual, um, are we also responsible to then ensure they understand in case that changes? You know, there's a, uh, so some interesting twists that, that, that this offers as well, because some countries have uh, certain sympathies with certain other countries' products, and some countries have certain, let's say, the, the antipathies, if that's the opposite of sympathies, for particular other countries' products, which makes our life total misery if I am, for example, asked to organize for somebody a video conference between all the different uh, agricultural departments in this in the government uh, of Southeast and, and South Asia. So country X cannot use product one, country Y cannot use product two. Uh, so, so how are you going to make all that possible? Are you going to have to invest in very, very expensive bridging technology? Are you going to go to uh, a, a, a provider that's, that's neutral, but that wants to have a lot of money for it? it it's very complicated. I would not like to be understood as if, you know, here's one of these bleeding heart liberals that, that wants uh, to build everything outside of the realm of big corporations. But I would like to try and get back at those big corporations to say, okay, folks, what we at customers would really want is to be able to have your products, whatever, or maybe because we chose for your particular ecosystem in our organization. But then we would really like to be able to talk to a party that uses another product and start going back to those days of interoperability. Those days were difficult. There's all sorts of issues such as security involved and whatever. But folks, we have technology, we have the engineers, we can do this. Thank you so much for your for your insights. Thank you. More information about our upcoming podcasts and webinars can be found on our website ict4dconference.org. Hope you will join us again next week.